So, Lakshmi, I wanted to start by asking you about the the prison project. Okay. Working, how long have you been working on this now? Uh, about going on 16 years now. <sighs> 16 yeah. years. So I'm curious, what have you learned? Oh, well, I've learned all about uh, the U.S. Uh, prison system, mm. both federal and, and state. And uh, not all states, but uh, I have a pretty good idea. I see a lot of similarities from one prison to another. I've learned about what's missing mm. in our system. What is the objective of the project? Well, in a way, incarcerated people are probably the most disenfranchised group in our country today. And I would say they're all in, in some sort of pain being in prison. Uh, it's not a nice place, and it, it was designed not to be a, a comfortable place for them. Uh, it's designed to punish people. Uh, some people can get it together to reflect on their lives and say, oh, I never want to do this again, and I'll change all my ways. But that's pretty hard to do in a vacuum, mm. unless you have a lot of programs and support. Now, some prisons have some programs. Some have almost no programs. Some, people, some prison systems have um, uh, career uh, and professional training of different sorts, especially... Um, manual cha training, you know, working with machines and things like that, which is really great because um, a lot of people that end up in prison are the most unloved uh, children of our society. Mm. You know, they probably were not wanted by their parents. They were probably raised by a single parent often who, who uh, um, did not appreciate them being a part of their lives. And so they were, from the get-go, they were sort of treated very um, unfairly. So, so, and then they, they and, and some people can turn themselves around, but most cannot. And a lot of people that write me, you have to understand there's, there's a general population that goes from really heavy-duty criminals all the way to innocent people. The, the number of innocent people are not that many. It's mainly those that were with the wrong group, uh, are um, decided they were going to, they were, they were going through a very selfish or dark period of their life. They made some mistakes and they ended up in prison. And then, but they don't know how to get out of it. They don't know how to get out of those those desires and feelings and resentments and anger that that makes up their lives. I wonder if this is a, much different than your regular person learning to practice uh, yoga. This is like we're still trying to get well, out of something, but the difference is like they committed the crime. It's, yeah. it's maybe yeah. an extreme version of it, but is the goal the same? Yeah, the goal is the same. Mm. Yeah, and that's why uh, Gurudev's teachings are perfect for them. Mm. So I don't do a lot in, in, in so many words. What I do is people ask me for books, I give them books. And then after a while, I, I realize, and Gurudev's books are exactly what they need. They, they guide them to, this is what not to do, this is what to do. You know, making decisions, understanding, getting in control of the mind. Um, and they have all the smorgasbord of different types of yoga. You know, the yoga of devo do devotion. You know, the yoga of uh, self-inquiry. And this a lot of people are searching, and they search. The religion is about the only freedom that they have in prison. Mm. Uh, and even then, it's restricted, but it's not supposed to be restricted. So they can study just about any religion that they want, but, of course, getting the books is a, is a problem, uh, getting the, the assistance, getting the a chaplain that's sympathetic and doesn't believe that they all should be fundamentalist Christian. You know, so you, you have those problems, but still that they, they, they are free to pursue their own belief, even if it's their own religion. Even if they make up their religion, mm -hmm. they can pr pursue it. Mm -hmm. So that's what we have. 
I wonder uh, about this uh, idea of punishment. You know, because mm. I think about it, like, you know, it's just always been around for me in my life. I don't know about yours is, okay, you make a mistake, you're punished for it. So I'm wondering if you've reflected uh, on the, the power of punishment and yeah. if it really in general leads to the desired outcome that we're looking for. Well, I would say uh, in most cases, no, it doesn't. Uh, it, it's like the, the human beings is capable of, of uh, undergoing a tremendous amount of pain. Pain does not open your heart, you know. It's 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 like it's it's like how do you learn kindness? How do you learn affection? It's how it's it's like the way you do it is by seeing how other people treat you. Instead, what the normal prisoner gets is constant abuse, constantly told what they already believe is that they're worthless. And when you believe you're worthless, you know, you don't even believe that you can be changed. So what a, what a lot of prisoners do is uh, they, go, they escape through drugs. And right now there's a horrible uh, fentanyl um, explosion in the, in the prison, you know. Uh, people smoke. Sometimes it was called K2, and I've been told by different prisoners that it's 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 basically just fentanyl mixed with any old thing that could, and so many prisoners have died from this in prison. They they smoke it, and they'd have a bad reaction to it, um, and then they're they're sent to the emergency room, and then they're dead. You know, uh, others it's it's just a, it turns them into zombies, literally zombies, but they're in so much mental anguish and pain that they'd prefer. And as soon as, as, you know, fentanyl is it's usually brought in by the guards, you know. And the guards, you know, it, it, it's like the guys who are bringing it into the prisons, um, they've got lots of money. And they can bribe those guards and, you know, give them lots and lots of money that they would never see otherwise. So it's an it's easy thing, you know, it's, it's, it, it's a decision that they often make. And hoping that they'll get away from it, uh, you know, and they'll, they'll get away with this, this bringing it in. Then they bring it in, and you've got people sick and and dead and zombies. And then the people that don't want it, they're smoking it, so it's in the air. And if you have asthma or anything else like that, you you, you know, it's it's effect is impacting your health. So uh, it's a really big problem. But why? Uh, why, why do as soon as that shipment comes in of fentanyl for these guys, they they just there's a ton of guys that just line up and uh, and start taking it, and they know that people are dying from it. They know that they could die. They know that it turns it th- themselves into a zombie, and yet they keep taping it. Why? Because they have no hope. They have no no you know their their life is so bitter. And so, so painful that they just want to escape from the pain. Hmm. There's no meaning. There's no meaning in their life, no. I love what you said about kind of like opening up the heart that's like a, a way that, to, to even reflect on this and think, like, how does a human being begin to open up their heart and be, be kind? Right. And I don't, I don't even know if that's something that most of us stop and think about. Like right. To... How, did, how does one learn that, to do that? What, what the yogis usually say is, is that uh, if you can get someone to do another, another person a good deed, you know, you feel better about it. There have even been studies about this, you know, that people will give a whole group of people $20. They can spend it on themselves uh, or they can give it to somebody else. And uh, whenever they give it to somebody else, they're much happier about it. It's just like giving brings happiness. Selflessness brings happiness. It just opens up the space in the heart and the mind. And the more, if anything you want to get addicted to, it's, it's 
loving and serving others. So uh, by teaching them to be kind, you know, and re- I mean, sometimes you have to reward it. They've done this with children mm. in different sorts of uh, special school for delinquent children, that they reward them for, for being good, you know, in a way that, but not just, uh, ha- you know, tattling on their other, their other uh, classmates. It's more about uh, doing something thoughtful, doing something kind, doing something, uh, a, a nice word, a thank you. It, it, it may start very small, but um, it's, once you get them going on it, they get the taste of it. And sometimes you have to start in different places. And every, every you can't, like some of these guys, their hearts are so hard. It's just like all the wires have been pulled mm-hmm. out of their heart. And uh, one of my, one of the, the second guy that I wrote, he was, uh, he, uh, he was one of those guys. And, but he was, he was reaching out. And why? Because one of his, his um, uh, fellow inmates taught him a few yoga asanas. And so he would start practicing these yoga asanas. And, uh, and pretty soon, we, he would sit down and watch a uh, film with Denzel Washington in it, and he'd start to cry. And he hadn't cried since he was a teenager, maybe even a, a, you know, a 12-year-old or something. And he would start to cry. And, uh, and he wanted to know what was going on. He, it's like all these emotions. He would read a book, he'd start to cry, you know. So what was happening? Well, the asanas are amazing things, you know. They put the, they open up the energy meridians in the body, you know. They open up, you know, the heart. Uh, they stretch out the muscles. They release the pain, uh, all of the tension, all of the insults that we've, it, it, it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's, it's stored in the body, in different parts of the body. The asanas will release that. And when, when it's released and things start flowing again, then your heart starts opening because it starts reconnecting all those wires that have been disconnected for so long. And sometimes they have to go through a, a period of, uh, of sorrow to, uh, to reach. But it's, it's a sweet sorrow. It's a sorrow when they start engaging with other people and engaging. Uh, because, see, when you reach out to another person and give, what's really happening? It's like you're connecting with your true self in that other person. That's what I've learned from doing the prison project. You know, the more that I, I give to others, it's like the more I see myself in them. And I realize that the self that I'm seeing isn't just this mind and body. It's the true self. But it's like my, my individual human mind just takes it as I see in this person. Uh, you know, someone that gets hurt, someone that just wants to be loved, someone want, that wants to be respected, you know, and do good in the world. And, and, and that's much more important than money. It's much more important than nice clothes or material things. What, what's important, but to be loved and respected by others is very, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know mm-hmm. how to get it. Every, every attempt at love in their life has usually been thwarted somehow or another because of the circumstances that they've grown up in. So, they say that they've got 10 strikes against them. Yeah, let's say 100 strikes. But uh, if we had an environment that would somehow nourish some of these things, and other prison systems in different countries have done uh, work with this. Germany, Sweden, Scandinavia in general have very uh, progressive um, uh, systems in which, um, you know, the, they, they don't give them long sis- sentences. 
We give very, very long sentences in this country. We pay a very high price for that. You know, it, they say that it's anywhere from, uh, for each indiv- individual prisoner, it's somewhere between 15,000, which is very low, it's more like 20,000 probably in today's dollars, all the way up to 40,000, sometimes $60,000 a year to uh, support those incarcerated people. Now, some of them need to be in prison. It's true. They are dangerous people, and we have to figure out something better than just warehousing them. And that's what most of our prison system is. It's warehousing. And like I said, some systems have rehabilitation through teaching trades and other things. But it, it, the person has to be open to it. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot of, uh, and I'm not talking as an expert. I'm just talking as a, a bystander on the side of the road. Well, I think about it even in just in terms of all of us. I think it, it feels like each of us have a responsibility to look at this issue. You know, it's not. It, if there is someone who is not safe to have them be in the open world, then, okay, we need to take them and put them in, in, in a place. But what is the objective? You know, the objective is, right, rehabilitation, well, I would say. Well, no, I would no. say the first no. objective is to protect society from them. Okay, right. You know, first objective first is, is to protect society. And, and that's yep. a very important, I mean, mm. and we, we shouldn't downplay this for in, in the psyche of the American people today, or, or any 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 country, you know. Um, but what we need to do is we we need to have more programs in which rehabilitation is the main thing, you know. So and, and you can't do it with the most hardened criminal, but you can do it. You can do it with people who have had violent crimes and have a, a good record in prison for a couple of years, you know, just doing the routines. And then, and seeing, and they've had tremendous success with people who have gone in with murder charges, you know, uh, with certain progressive, in Georgia, for example, they, they had a, a, a very progressive program and they took people that had been incarcerated for a particular amount of time and they, they put them on in a short, track. In Texas, they've gone the, the spiritual route. They, um, for people that have uh, really long, long, you know, and probably violent crimes, that they, they, um, they can, they'll, if they can get into a, this Christian program, and you have to be a Christian, and you have to take the classes, well, you don't have to be a Christian, but you have to take all the class, the Christian classes. And then you, you, you're, you're put into a four-year seminary in which you come out with a bachelor's degree in religion. And um, uh, you're trained to be what's called, uh, what is it, a, uh, a field minister. And these minister, field ministers go to, uh, are sent to different prisons within the system, and they're the assistant to the chaplain. And... Uh, and these guys are on fast track to get out. But they have to do probably at least five to seven years as a field minister. And then they, they can come up for parole, you know, probably, you know, 99 years sooner than they would have otherwise. So, um, uh, so that's, that's another track. And a lot of people, I, 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 I correspond with one of these field ministers now. And he's, he's the most amazing person. He, uh, he takes care of all of the non-Christian groups. He himself uh, has a background in, um, uh, uh, what is it, the Vedanta Society of New York. Uh, I don't know if he's connected in New York or Southern California or where, but it was um, uh, Vivekananda's group that, uh, 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 you know, their group. And so he knows all about uh, uh, yoga and uh, yoga philosophy, philosophy and Vedanta. But at the same time, he does everything from um, 
you know, all of the minor religions, uh, not just Eastern, but he, he does a Buddhist group and he does a, another group for the Wiccans and another group for, uh, uh, what is it, um, oh, oh, even the, the Nordic religions, you know, so a lot of uh, the, um, the guys in prison are these, uh, um, basically they, they, they tend to be bikers that believe in white supremacy and and uh, and worship the northern northern gods anyway so he 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 goes ahead and he he has services for them and and uh and tries to bring out all the the positive you know parts of all these religions and and ways that they can rehabilitate themselves through their their own faith mm. so, so amazing person uh, and and it, meanwhile he's and he's he's all about service, serve, 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 night and day. And they put him in the worst, um, the the most hardcore uh, Texas prison that I know of, anyway, the Beto unit. And um, and he just it's it's like he's in heaven, as far as he's concerned, because he only sees God in all these people. Mm. Yeah. So. So anyway, there's, there's all, 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 all different ways to do it, but to do something, you know. I don't have the answers, you know. I often, I often think about these things, but I do know that other systems, Germany has one-third, uh, has about one, a one-third recidivism rate. In other words, repeat offenders. Yeah. We have two-thirds recidivism rate. So for every uh, three prisoners, three people that go to prison and are released, two will come back. <laughs> See, that, just that piece of information, I think, is such an important aspect. Right. Like, we should all know that. Yeah. Should, because that, that, is, that clearly defines the success of, of right. uh, the system itself. Right. Right? The goal is to not have repeat offenders right. to have to go through the whole thing again. Um, so it's not a very good uh, percentage of, of success. And then even to look at that one-third that, that don't repeat, what's their quality of life? How are they doing when they're re-entering society? What's their experience like? Oh, yeah. usually, uh, it used to be, it used to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago, it was much better, I would say, than it, it is now. Uh, there, when they had, when you, you hear about halfway houses, yeah, you know, uh, you know, in some places, halfway houses are a joke. Uh, talk about fentanyl smoking. <laughs> uh, most of them don't don't provide jobs. Don't look help them look for jobs. Usually, the guys that go to the halfway houses don't have any family to parole to, any friends to parole to. Well, I think in in so many ways, like our society is just confusing. It's it's confusing for 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 many of us. Even simply the, the aspect of, of service to, to talk about it. I, I would say that um, that's a need that all of us have to, yeah. to, to, to give, to do something that's good. But that's not um, apparent, you know. It, it's not a common perception even that, that I'm not going to fulfill, you know, my heart's desire. I'm not going to feel well if I don't spend my time doing something that, uh, it doesn't feel like it's helping anyone, anyone else. Um, so it, that's just one point. But there's lots of aspects of society that I think are extremely confusing to many of us. And like, I'm wondering, like, did it feel confusing to you, and like being in the outside world more? And is that what led you to, you know, live at Yogaville and and, and become a part of Integral Yoga because this makes more sense to you than how how living in the outside world did. Let's see. Um, I was, as you know, my, my background is in anthropology. So I think we need to go back a little bit. Mm. Uh, and uh, Because anthropology kind of talks about this exact subject matter. Right, right. Yeah. right. Culture shock, how to, you know, all, all of that. Um, you know, different cultures, how different cultures do things differently. You know how to have an open mind with with the way different different places and customs and everything like that, and the world has just grown too small 
now to, to not have a, a sort of anthropological uh, way of, of viewing things. But anyway, I was an anthropologist, and but I had my own group of people in the anthropology department, and um, it was I found myself very influenced by what was going on in society, you know, and um, uh, I was a very religious child. I came into this life being a very religious person, and. Um, I, when I, I was raised Roman Catholic, uh, when I, uh, the first time I saw a nun, I didn't even know what, what it was, you know, but I, that's what I wanted to do, hmm. you know. So there was some sort of past life thing going on there for me. So, and it's like my, my mother was a, a good Catholic, but she, she didn't like me to be too Catholic, you know, so it, it's like she was always toning it down. She didn't want me to go to Catholic schools or do anything like that. So, uh, but I really uh, was was very. Uh, it was always sort of a calling for me. So religion was always there in my life. And then when I went to college, I went. I chose a Catholic college to go to. And um, but then uh, uh, Catholic colleges are filled with kids that are with young people that were all, had all gone to Catholic schools, which are so, and the, the biggest, you know, and, and especially at 18, you're sort of rebellious against what the earlier generations have done, and the church is a good uh, target for to rebel against. So everyone was around me was rebelling, so I rebelled too, you know, so it didn't take me very long to decide that I didn't want religion anymore, I didn't want, I didn't, know about Christianity. I didn't know about the mythology that went along with it. Didn't have any understanding for it, nor was I letting any understanding in. Well, maybe it was also a sign to you the way that the the other kids, where they were at in terms of their relationship with, with, with the church, because if they had all gone through years of schooling and then now they're all rebelling and none of them are interested in it, then maybe that right. gave you some kind of feedback that that's not really... Uh, what you wanted to be doing either. Well, but then here I am. <laughs> yeah, but it's different. Yeah. It was different. I, I needed to go on that journey. Hmm. I needed to have my, my beliefs challenged. And when they were challenged, I didn't have, uh, you know, it, it, it's like I want, it, and you know, underneath it all, I just wanted to be free. I wanted to be free from a lot of rules and regulations, and and the, and the church had a whole bunch of things, and especially this was in this was in this. Uh, I went to I started college in 1968, which was a very rebellious time in our among the young people of our country. This was the the hippie uh, generation, you know, and and I was I went to school to the at the University of San Francisco, you know, so. It was like all these things, you know, it was a very tumultuous time in America, uh, especially among the American youth, and the war in Vietnam was going on at this time. So, and so we were rebelling against the country, we were rebelling against the church, we were rebelling against uh, 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 everything, and, and, you know, <laughs> with any authority. So that, those were the times, very, very uh, wild times. So it, it's just like I needed to experience a lot of these things. So the, the experience is good. It, it teaches you what you want and what you don't want. It teaches you that when you get what you want, maybe that's not going to make you happy. Hmm. You know? So, and then I went on. Uh, I chose anthropology as my, uh, uh, my field. And I went... Um, uh, to uh, Indonesia to, uh, to do my field work. And meanwhile, uh, and, and, and I went from, you know, uh, the bigger, uh, you, know, uh, um, you know, movement of the, of the 1970s into grad school. 
you know, and grad school has its own very uh, enclosed environment with very strong opinions, again, anti-religion, anti-authority, and anthropologists are very much along those lines. So I went to Indonesia, and then all of a sudden you have to be an observer, and a participant, and somewhat a participant in the in this new culture that you're in, and uh, and I, I was in this uh, 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 Indonesian village that was Christian Protestant, and uh, I would I would go to the the church and everything with them, but it was like there was something missing there, and there were some some interesting things that would happen to me there. But it was like at one point, I, uh, being in this, this, this position of just observing and watching, all of a sudden, all of the stuff from the last, mm, I would say, six years of my life started, you know, coming out. And I looked at myself, you know, as a high school student, as a college student, as a grad student, and uh, my values, my shifting values, the right, the wrong of it. And I decided I, I didn't like who I'd become, you know, and that I actually... Who was that? Like you, who did you become? Like, how would you describe that? I became that? a person that was somewhat amoral, you know, that was very wishy-washy when it came to uh, uh, a moral stance on things. Um, uh, I would. I was all about myself. wasn't mm. about other people. Uh, if things uh, pleased me, and if people got hurt in the in the process, I I uh, uh, it, I just you know let it. So what you know? Was that you think because of fear? Like were you afraid that? Um, I wasn't yeah. afraid of okay. anything. I was what what was happening is that uh, I mean that that, that it, it was it was sort of like I had a, a spiritual I had a structure with the religion that I had, and that structure began to disintegrate as soon as I rejected uh, religion as a way of life. So or, or even a part of religion as a way of life. So that began to disintegrate. As it disintegrated, I became more and more self-centered. So you rejected it simply because that's what other people, like that's what your peers were doing? No, it was, I had a whole philosophy about it, but it's not worth talking <laughs> about now. Huh. Uh, I, I, everything, I'm a very intellectual person. I had an intellectual response for everything. I had an answer for everything. I had everything that I did, you know. I tried, and at one point early on, as an undergrad, I tried to replace karma yoga uh, with this, the spiritual life. And it wasn't, it, it, no, that didn't work well enough, you know, because I, it was only a, a, a little chunk, a little of the picture. Uh, uh, you're, you have a quizzical look on your yeah, face, and I imagine you're trying to understand. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to go into the blow-by-blow blow description yeah. of what was happening, but basically, I went from being uh, a very, uh, you know, uh, a person that thought about others to a person that didn't think about others and only thought about themselves. Uh, I was the most, I was the center of my universe, and I didn't, I didn't think that there were, I didn't even reflect that there were, everybody walks around thinking that they're the center of their own universe and that everyone wants to be happy and everyone wants to be loved. It's just like, and I, you know, I was juggling all those things, you know, in a way we want to be loved, but are we willing to give the love that you, you need? I mean, you know, there's, there's all those questions that come up. So that's what happened. And I went through the process, and then when I was in Indonesia, all of what had gone right and what had gone wrong came up. And I looked at myself, and why did you do that? Why did you do this? Why weren't you thinking about this other person? 
you hurt them, you know. And so uh, I think underneath I'm a pretty nice person. So that nice person started looking at the behavior that this mind-body had been going through for six years and in sort of a disintegration of uh, uh, the uh, thinking about others to just being, being you know, other-centered to being self-centered, okay? So, and even that served its purpose, being self-centered, because it showed me what I didn't want to do. So I'm not wanting, I didn't quite know how to go back. So I decided to go back to just uh, my own religion. And I, and I said, I don't care if I believe it or not. I was a better person when I believed it. I was a better person when I followed it. So I just, uh, I guess I put blinders on. I didn't, I didn't want to look this way and that. I didn't want to point fingers and criticize. I just wanted to get back to a point that I respected myself more. And I was not doing that very well on my own. So you said, it's, it's interesting because you say that, you know, um, you were totally self-centered, yeah. but at the same time, you weren't respecting yourself. Yeah. Because there was a part of me that um, stood back and far enough to see, oh, you know, the person that I had become. The person that I was not a very nice person. Real self-centered people are not real fun to be around. Don't really have respect for themselves. Often, well, I mean, there's there's so many different mm. reasons why people are self-centered. Mm. Uh, it's, it doesn't. It's not. Sometimes they have too much respect for themselves and not well, it's enough very for complicated, other people. It's a very complicated issue. I think the relationship, right. you know, with with the self. It's not. So, right. It's not so simple. Well, this is just yeah. my journey. Yeah. My my journey was that I I I what I respect in others, I was not doing myself. Okay, maybe that's a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, because I wasn't doing what I respect in others, I I was I had lost respect for myself, you know. And the thing is, is that life is so busy, and so you know, with so many things happening, there's no space in our life to take a step back and to reflect. This is what I've been doing. This is the path I'm taking without even realizing this is the path I'm taking. So that's what happened with me, you know. So um, I decided to go back. And uh, when I came back, uh, when, I got, when I came back from Indonesia, uh, and I, I had uh, some of my friends were missionaries there, and they gave me a few books to read and things like that, which were okay, you know. But... Uh, when I came back, I decided just start start back where where uh, and just go back to the church, and I did that for uh, a little while. Yeah, a little while, and then I was doing hatha yoga. I had uh, one of my high school teachers had uh, said that I should do some yoga postures uh, to help my public speaking. And she was very interested in the the, the pranayama, so uh, so I had a little book called uh, Yoga Made Easy. So I, uh, I and I did that in high school. When I and the same thing, pretty much, uh, what happened to my prisoner with mm. doing asanas? Yeah. Well, what happened to me is that by doing just the asanas, very abbreviated little set of asanas. Uh, I started feeling more balance, and my emotions started feeling more balanced. And I felt uh, more in control, and more in control of my mind, and more open to doing things, you know, more on top of my fears and anger and depression, whatever. It's just I felt much more balanced. So, and then I went away a little while, and, and I sort of got out of doing the hatha, but whenever I would get really tense in, as an undergrad, I would pull out my, these asanas and I would do them, and it would help, help. It would help me sleep at night. 
it would help move out a lot of the tension. And then, uh, and I took it to Indonesia with me. And when I started doing uh, uh, asanas in Indonesia, uh, the same thing happened. And I started getting balanced. Uh, it started balancing my body. My body was healthier. Everything was working better. Uh, and so I, I said, well, when I go back uh, uh, home, I'm going to find a yoga institute that I can go to. And oh, in this, in this little book, A Yoga Made Easy, they said, uh, it mentioned that uh, this whole thing about, uh, they were talking about uh, enlightenment, actually, and self-realization. But they said, but it's very impractical nowadays. It was talking about kundalini hmm. and raising the kundalini. But it, it did it in a very, it, it, it sort of promised something that, was, that, that the great yogis had touched into. You know, and at the same time, the, when I was in Indonesia, the, the more peaceful I became, the uh, the more clairvoyant I got, hmm. and I could I could look at somebody, and know that that the person was going to die soon, and and then they would, and then I would say, oh my god, you know, and then uh, and I would I would reach out to my friends in different places, and I could sort of get the shadow of them, and some of my friends, the one <laughs> there was one friend that I had that meditated. And he had like this light around him. And my other friends that I would reach out to, their light was sort of turned inward, down. It wasn't like the guy that meditated, the one guy that meditated, you know. So the, these things were, uh, uh, so I thought, well, you know, maybe if I tapped into some of these, these things, I could develop some of these I could develop this part of my mind that seems to be expansive uh, in this way. So when I got back, uh, then I started getting cold feet when I got back. And I said, well, maybe I'll just get a, uh, a class, you know, uh, with, with, with an individual teacher, you know, that teaches. And maybe that's all I really need to do. And then one of my friends at, who was in the anthropology department said, oh, I'm going to these open classes at the Intergo Yoga Institute. Why don't you come with me? And I did. And uh, the first class I took was everything I was looking for. It had the spirituality in it. It had. It just. Uh, it just. It it had the balance, the asanas, the the little bit of meditation at the everything little bit of pranayama. And so I said, okay, let me start, let me, and I felt like I needed a different group of friends than the anthropology department. I said, well, maybe these are the friends I'm looking for. Hmm. And I started to go to more classes. And then I picked up a book called Yoga Made Easy. First, I I think I read... um, uh, I read a book, you know, the autobiography of a yogi, I believe. And then I, I read a book by Gurudev, which was out, out of print now. It was called uh, Success in Yoga and Other Talks from Swami Sachidananda. It's a very early book, not very well edited. And I, I read it and I said, well, this is very nice, but it just sounds like everything is yoga. And, <laughs> and then, well, that's, that's sort of the way it was written. So... Uh, I said, uh, you know, and then... That was too much to think everything now, is yoga. Yeah, yeah. so I said, so what should I do? Should I go more for the Self-Realization Foundation with the Dogananda's mm. people? Or should I go with the, um, uh, the Integral Yoga Institute? And um, then, uh, and the thing is, when I read Autobiography of a Yogi, I got this feeling that I used to get when I would read the Bible as a child. And uh, it was just like someone took off the top of my head, and there was this other consciousness watching me. And there was a, a point in, while I was reading Autobot that I got that that feeling, and I would get it 
when I would be reading certain certain books of the Bible, not the whole Bible. Uh, definitely the Gospels of Jesus would do that to me. The uh, other stuff, anything by by St. Paul, nothing, n- never happened, you know. So certain things, certain books would seem to have more of this this energy. So I got that energy with, with that book. So I was thinking about it, and then it said Swami Satchitananda has just come back from a around-the-world tour, and he's at the Connecticut ashram, and there's a group of us going up for the weekend. Do you want to come? Where were you living at this time? I was living in New York. In New York, oh, okay, yeah. Okay, and I said, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I made an, an arrangement to go to the Connecticut ashram and to stay there uh, and uh, overnight uh, with this group and and this group of kids. Uh, we we ended up on the wrong side of Connecticut <laughs> at one point, and um, and so I said, oh, what I'll do is I I'm going to reach out to Swami Satchidananda just like I did with my friends and see if I could connect with him. Mm. You know, it's like my little city. You know, so I do this, and then, and we're we're at a gas station. They're asking directions. They're trying to figure out which way to go, um, and and I'm there, sort of. I, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm standing outside the car, I think. And then all of a sudden, I, I and what I, I did what I always did. I just focused at the base of my brain, basically where the pituitary gland is, and uh, and and reached out toward Gurudev. And then suddenly, I've told the story before, and so a lot of people out there will know about it, but uh, suddenly there was this other consciousness inside my mind. And this consciousness was, was like this bright, it wasn't just a bright light, it was like 10,000 suns. And it didn't even fit into my brain. It was so huge. It was just like a small little bit of this huge sun that was, and it was just listening. Hmm. It was just pure consciousness. And it was just listening. And it was, it was just like, I felt like I'd, I'd been caught, you know, with my, my, my little antics, you know, my, my minor city of reaching out. I said, hello, Gurudev. <laughs> Nothing, you know, just pure consciousness watching me. I said, well, I just thought I'd let you know that we got lost on the way. <laughs> we're going to be late. <laughs> and then nothing, just watching, pure consciousness. And then I, I just, then my mind shut up. I did not want to say anything more. And it's just like, he watched me, I watched him. And then slowly this consciousness pulled away. Oh my God, what was that? And then we go, we're there, we're late, and they're showing this, this slideshow. And, um, and then uh, they, they have all these, this, this entertainment. It was around St. Patrick's Day. They had people doing the St. Patrick, they had people doing the Highland Fling. Not Irish, but close enough, you know. <laughs> you know, they. People talking about Saint, giving a little talk on Saint Patrick, and all these, and then they said, and then they went through all these things, and they said, "Well, Gurudev, uh, we were hoping that you might talk tonight." He said, "Huh? What do you want me to talk about?" And he was he was in one of those moods, and he said, "Well, you could talk about the lotus," and he makes this face like, and like like. Have you heard that before? <laughs> We've been talking about this for the last year, you know, and, and you want me to talk about it again? You know, that was the implication. He didn't say that. He was just like he was very gruff. And then he he started he started going on. He goes, "Okay, you want me to talk? You people." <laughs> you always had to watch out when he said, "You people," um, uh, you know, 
I, I, I've written all these books, and he started listing them. Indigo Yohaga Hatha, to know yourself, you know, you know, beyond words. You know, he goes on like, I, I go on like this. He goes, you know, you never read them. No matter what, I, you know, all these books that are written, I've written, you never read them. You come to satsang, you never listen. Whatever I tell you, it doesn't matter. You know, just do whatever you want. I don't care. You can all get into the same bed together for all I care. Man, woman, woman, man, I don't care. Just, you know, do whatever you want to do. You don't want to listen to me. <laughs> you know? So this is what he, so that's what he said. And I thought, oh, maybe I better read one of, another one of his books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but that, that was the way home. But it was like, oh, my goodness. You know, it, it's just, but it, it didn't upset me that he, but it was just like, uh, but I, but I, but for some reason, what I came out of that with is maybe I should read another one of his books. So then I picked up to know yourself, and everything in that book was everything I was looking for, you know. And I knew that he was my guru by reading that book. And I've I've told other people that that's what uh, I do with my prisoners is I put that book into their hands. Mm. And then they write me back, and they say that their life is changing. And they don't know what's happened, but they're walking around the prison, smiling again. And so, at that point, uh, I, I went several times up to Connecticut, and then um, uh, it, was, it, it was just like, and I was being very active with the, the New York IYI. Uh, and then um, I had a really serious accident. And the people at the New York IYI let me move in, which sort of moved up, you know, my time frame work of, you know, I was going to go out and be an anthropologist and get a job at a university or somewhere in the United States. And, and then eventually... Uh, write my dissertation, you know, get a good job, and then eventually I might be able to move to the ashram mm. without any plan in mind. And all of a sudden, I was in the New York IYI, and then I fell in love with Paraman. We got married. We decided to move down to the uh, the new Virginia ashram that was just opening, and we moved to Charlottesville, and then... Uh, and then we moved down here. And I've never looked back. Mm. You know, I did get my PhD, but I don't, I've never really taught as an anthropologist. I've always taught as a yogi. Mm. But I use the anthropology all the time. Mm. Thank you for sharing the story. Um, well, actually, just that last thing you said, you use the, and I don't want to miss that, you use your anthropology background all the time, or knowledge. Uh, 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 what's an example of, of how, how you use it? Well, uh, well one thing, I'm a trained linguist because I, I, I studied linguistic anthropology. So I've been, I've been helpful uh, in serving the ashram by um, uh, getting the ashram to use a standardized version of the International Phonetic Alphabet, which is used for Sanskrit, I've been able. I, w- I helped with the uh, 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 help, not really create. It was like Premanjali and Swami Yogananda in France created the the text for the dictionary of Sanskrit names, and I just uh, um, sort of helped to edit it. And get it get it to, to print. Well, how about in your in in your relationships and just in your life? Uh, is there anything well, from your uh, anthropology yeah. that helps you in that regard? Absolutely. One thing is just like there's different cultures, you know, everywhere. Everyone, you know, even subcultures. In a way, we have a subculture here. Uh, um, different people will will join different subcultures and. Uh, People from different countries coming here uh, to understand where they're coming from, you know, how to speak to them, how to talk to them. Uh, it's uh, even with the prison project, 
uh, I understand that there's a prison culture that is in existence, you know. And, uh, and in trying to understand the inmate within the context of a prison culture is very important. So it's been very helpful with my prison work. Uh, you can't just tell someone, oh, go, do a good, good deed for someone every day. And good deeds are not respected in a prison, in a prison environment. You know, so you can't just tell them that. They have to work it out. And eventually, as they start working it out, they figure out how to work out those, those, those good deeds. But I can't tell them what to do and how to do it. I wonder about this just even in terms of, of the teachings. Um, and you mentioned, you know, Gurudev saying, you know, you read my book, you listen to satsangs, and uh, you're not listening. You know, you're not really, like, take, taking it in. Um, do you think that, that that's true, that he was right that that was happening? Um, and if so, you know, why does that happen? Why can a, a person be engulfed in a set of teachings and it doesn't really infiltrate their being? You know, it kind of still remains more on the external. Why, why does that happen? Well, you know, a, a lot of it has to do with human consciousness and the way we learn and the way we listen and and how much how much chatter there is in the mind the more you calm down the chatter the more space you have to bring in what's happening in the outside world i'm sh- what enlightened masters can do with their perception is just amazing you know they really they, they they you know and the thing is, it's and, and we would call it super-consciousness. It's not super-consciousness. It's our normal consciousness without the chatter of the mind going on. So we can tap in to a more expansive, our more expansive abilities of using the mind um, by, uh, by just quieting the mind more through meditation. And, uh, and by a lot of it has to do with uh, eliminating the negative thoughts of the mind. Because the, ne- the negative thoughts, the judgmental mind is what causes a lot of the whirlpools of the mind, the, the vrittis. So the vrittis, if you want to, quiet, if you can quiet down the vrittis, you start getting that expansive. And then when the teacher tells you something, uh, uh, you can hear him. And sometimes there'll be a part one and a part two of what the teacher's telling you, maybe a part three. Uh, so you get one, but your mind is already off with one, so you're not hearing two and three. You know. So, so are we listening? And, and every student of a teacher is selective in what they learn and what they don't learn. And a lot of the selection has to do with our, our upbringing, how we view the world, how we view the studies, how much we can take in. I mean, some people, like Karunananda and Padaman, uh, they, they could go to a satsang with Gurudev and then repeat, you know, point for point, what he said at satsang. You would talk to just about any other person in the room, and what they would do, you know, you would ask, um, what did Gurudev say about such and such when he answered the question about such and such? And they were, well, wait a minute, I- I'm not quite sure. I, I-, I, don't-, I don't know. It, you know, it would be very, very hard put for most of the people in the room to actually come up with more than one or two uh, answers of what he gave out of 20, you know. And then, and you could even remind them of certain things that he would say. You go, oh, I, I should get the tape and listen to that because I don't remember that. You know, that's the way our, our, our ability to absorb things is. And so with the teacher, there's a lot of repetition. And he would do it. And sometimes if you really want, you will, you'll hear him on the tape saying, he'll repeat something three times, you know, uh, let's say, um, I don't know, 
uh, you know, you know, like he would say, not only love, love and serve, he would say, love and serve, serve, serve. Yeah. Mm. So he would do that, he, he does that all the time if you listen to his tapes. Mm. And uh, uh, so, so it's just like, yeah, and it's very selective. And, you know, um, people would talk, oh, he was a guru, and I had... Uh, I had to follow whatever he had to say, and because he was the guru, I did whatever he had to say. Oh, that was such total nonsense. If anybody said that, everyone did what exactly what they wanted to do. <laughs> and you know, yeah, and they wanted, yeah, they wanted to serve him, but at the same time, if he asked them to do something they didn't want to do, they were they were out the door. They were they were doing something else. Mm. They they would sidestep it. They would you know get away from it. Whatever. You know, so anyway, uh, that's that's just the way it was. And mm. I mean, and you want to believe that you would be the most faithful of of students and follow everything he had to say. But it's, it's everything that the guru had to say was not for everyone. Mm. You know, it's like the, when the guru speaks, he's talking to many different levels of uh, people at many different places and parts of life. And so when he says one thing, it might be for you. You know, if it appeals to you, you take it and you use it. But other things, uh, uh, you have to spit out. So they say that there's a certain type of, of, uh, uh, of disciple that's a cow. And cow takes in all the grass. And along with the grass comes the, the stones. And, and the twigs and other things. And then the cow takes it in, and then he, he brings it up, and he chews on it. And, he, and as he chews on it, he sort of goes in samadhi gurda, would say. And as he chews on it, he will spit out some of those twigs and stones. And what I like to say, and then there's also the swan. The swan has a coagulant in its saliva to, uh, uh, to, to curdle milk. So the swan would put the, the milk, uh, its, its beak into the milk, and it would start to drink. And as it would drink, it would spit out the water, and it would, chew, it would, it would curdle the milk, and, the, and it would eat the curds. Oh. All right? So it's just like, it wouldn't even take it in. It would spit it, even, even taking it in, it knows that one thing is not for them, and the other thing is. And it would swallow what was good and spit out what was bad. So this is just what we do too. Right. But I would say with the, with the cow, he spits out the cow, she spits out the, the, uh, the rock, a little pebble, and then the chicken comes along. All right? And the chicken pecks that pebble and swallows it, and it goes into its gizzard. And the, kids then, and the, the chicken uses the, that, that pebble to digest its food. All right? So it's just like some things uh, he will say is for someone who's just a beginner. Another thing will be someone who's intermediate. A third thing will be only for the highest. And it's just like for someone who's had all the other lessons so they can receive the highest. But you, unless that, 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 that beginner really isn't a beginner, it has had lifetimes and lifetimes of, of practice, they're, they're not going to. I think it's even more complicated than that. It probably I think. is. Like, you, know, a, you know, like each, each of us in different moments are taking in information and, right. and being that cow. And, but I think this is such a, an important point because they're just, just to see that this is what's happening. This right. is what we do as people. And to be very clear on that because there's often, I think, some confusion around this um, right. within oneself. Like, Hey, that doesn't feel right to me, but it comes from a place where I've heard so many right things that come. So, is there something wrong with me for right. feeling that this is this one aspect is not right of wanting to put this aside? Right, right, um, right. So ultimately, it's I think there's no way around the fact that we we each get to decide, and and that's right. more than okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and the truth is, he would see, Gurudev would, would sometimes, he would, to one person he'd say one thing, to another person he'd say the exact opposite too. But it's just like, 
what's the, what's the right food for this, this person? Well, yeah. the right food for this person is hot, spicy food. The right food for this person is uh, bland food, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not just one thing, one, one diet for one person. Everyone has their own constitution. And, and he would, and, and gurus, gurus understand that, you know. It, it's just like we, we, there's part of the human mind that wants to make everything into an absolute. Yeah. So often what the lessons that we are given are not absolute lessons, mm. but they're stepping stones uh, on the path to enlightenment. I think, it, you know, it's such a service to share, to simply share, right. because, and to be vulnerable about what's happening that's within right. within me, not to to think that someone else has to do what works for me, but at least by sharing, I give them the opportunity to right. to either take it in if it feels right for themselves, or to get more clear on what they don't want. What you're right. saying, what you're saying for me is not right. But if we don't share, if we don't right. speak what's happening inside, what works. Hey, I just had this spicy food and it really didn't serve well for me. So I'm right. so someone else says, okay, like I had that similar experience too. So we reinforce each other because right. we're social beings, you know. Right. Yeah. I so appreciate this time, Lakshmi. Sure. You sharing about your history and everything. It's just wonderful to hear. Thank you. And I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, glad you're here too. And um, oh, one thing I just wanted to mention, I so appreciate your, your emphasis on uh, walking. Because I see you walking around <laughs> the property all the time. And it, 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 it inspires me. And, and the more time that goes by, the more, uh, the more I'm starting to see hol uh, the holiness of, 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 of walking. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you see Padman and I walking, we're, we're usually, uh, half of our walk is, it's, it's, like a walking it's like a walking meditation. Uh, uh, we often do chanting and mantra repetition and other things. And you, the chanting and the mantra repetition bring you right into the moment. It, it's like the walking, you're, you're going to benefit from walking no matter what. And human beings were designed to walk. So it's, it's really good to, uh, to take advantage of all of these, this beautiful environment, you know, uh, all of the oxygen that these plants and trees are breathing out for us. To, and, and we can serve them by breathing out carbon dioxide for them. You know, it's a great, uh, great opportunity. And, uh, and you, see, you see animals, deer. And uh, one thing, if you, if you walk and you chant Om Shanti to the animals, they, they will become tame around you. Mm. You should try that sometime. Mm. Thank you. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, Please feel free to share and subscribe.